Simply Savage, Episode 6. You down with PPC? Yeah, you know me. You are listening to Simply Savage, the podcast about keeping savage worlds fast, furious, and fun. I am joined today by my co-host, Christian. Greetings. And our special guest, Clint. No, not that one. Black. <laughs> and uh, we will have uh, country music accompanying the entire show. That's right. That's right. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, thank you, man, for, for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. We're, this is exciting. It's always good to have you on, Clint. Uh, we always love talking with you, and uh, you're definitely good company. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. No. When we can work out the time to get together and do this stuff. I miss you guys. Yeah. Aww. 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 So if you get a chance, tell Matt that we missed him and you know we're, we're sad that he wasn't able to join us. Um, we were looking forward to having him on, but we understand that he's he had some schedule conflicts. So, Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, should we get into it? Hey, let's jump in. Let us get into this thing. Let's start out by kind of... See All right, so hold on, hold on. Let me start out with a second shaken causes a wound. <laughs> Dude, stop. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about that. He beat us to it, man. Oh, wow. Awesome. Thanks. Also, Pinnacle just acquired the rights to Greyhawk. All right. So, Shut up. <laughs> so, um, Basically, uh, we've been talking about plot point campaigns, Christian and I, on and off for a while now. And then I think we made a mention of it on our podcast a couple of times, and it was still in our, our head. And then all of a sudden, Matthew Cutter um, writes this uh, addendum to Shane's original plot point campaign post on the Pinnacle site and really kind of lays it out. I, it's short, but it really does lay out what a plot point campaign should kind of look like. Yeah. Um, he uses a lot of literary terms because that's Matt. <laughs> it's what he does. It's 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 nice to have that out there. So then Christian and I in the background start talking about doing a Simply Savage episode about plot point campaigns. Right. Then Richard Wilcock, the Savage Bloggers Network mascot and talented Savage writer in his own right, puts out not one, not two, but three blog posts on plot point campaigns before we can even record this thing and so now what we want to do is kind of take all that information we've all read all that information everybody's seen it but specifically the your three hosts tonight have read it and we all have varying levels of experience with plot point campaigns and we're going to kind of try to take all the information we have and kind of hash through that and see if we can provide people with a useful audio tool about this. Nice. Well put. Does that sound good, guys? Yeah, I think so. All right. Sounds great to me. Awesome. So let's get into, Clint, do us a favor and define for us what a plot point campaign is from yours and Pinnacle's perspective. Okay. A plot point campaign is a connected series of adventures that a GM runs creating an overarching campaign story. It's pretty much your pre-written campaign in a box. 
the concept being that each of these adventures can be pretty well interspersed in the midst of other adventures that you run during your campaign. And uh, it just tells an overarching story that's set up and ready to go. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of analogies you can make now because it's the idea of having these pre-built campaigns is basically been something you see in role-playing games all over the place from Paizo's adventure paths that they put together to you look at 5e and all of the books that they've put out that have been full set to run from uh, Curse of Strahd that just released, Tyranny of Dragons, Elemental Evil, all those things, you know, campaign in a box, basically. Now, with a plot point campaign, it's not set up to be a set storyline so defined. It's more of a, we're actually going to provide savage tales and other adventures that you already have to put in. And it makes it, you know, a little bit more flexibility for the GM. Yeah. A little, a little bit less um, kind of scripted, I, th- right. I feel like, too. Right. I, th- I think there's, there's a certain amount of you know, breathing room that you get through a PPC um, that right. you don't typically get with, you know, those adventure path type yeah. you know, or, or even like, you know, multi-part modules. Yeah, those other things are more like what we did with Evernight back at the very beginning. It's pretty much a scripted campaign, yeah. Right. I think one of the advantages I like to the plot point campaigns is you have 10 to 12 adventures that make up the plot point campaign. But they're going to come in a campaign book that's probably going to have another two to three dozen other adventures in with it. So even if you don't want to, if you want to run very sandbox and you don't want to run a campaign, you've still got at least like twice as many adventures that are in the book that you can pull from and create your other stuff. It's not like the plot point campaign is the end all be all of right, the book. Right. Yeah. So, you, so for example, if you don't want to go with a scripted thing and you want to just do your own thing, like you're saying, like a, a sandbox, you could just pick and choose whatever order for those savage tales and craft a story of your own. You know, if, if you so choose, and, and Longmar is sort of written like that, right? Right. Like the, it has the the collection of savage tales. Yeah, Longmar is more uh, that you can you can use. Yeah, it's written to be more open. The uh, I think it's the adventure that comes with the GM screen is more of like set up as like a mini plot point or a mini campaign. Right. 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 I think that's what we did with that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love that. You're like, which one? We have so many things coming out now. What did we do with that one? <laughs> I know. That's right. <laughs> Keep keeping it all straight, yeah. right? Nice. Cynical has become a machine. I love it. Yeah. So can I ask can I ask a little bit about the, the history of plot point campaigns? The, the 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 original one being fifty fathoms. How did Pinnacle Entertainment Group come up with the idea for a plot point campaign in terms of the structure, the purpose, and you know, weaving in savage tales and such? Where where did that root, you know, of, of that idea come from? That route comes from the original design of the system, actually. At the very beginning, I mean, we're going back to 2002, you know, uh, before the first book was released in 2003, when uh, the we were first working on the rules, Shane said he had three ideas for campaign books, scripted campaign, one was the plot point campaign, and one was basically the open campaign world, which is effectively Deadlands. If you don't buy the plot point campaign books, it's a completely open campaign right. world. Lankmar, to a certain extent, you've got kind of a mini campaign to play with, but that's that. Weird War Two, you know, there's some adventures there that connect together, but it's really more open with what you want to do with it. 
but the first, the ideas were scripted, plot point, and open campaign books. Evernight was the very first campaign book, and it was scripted. 50 Fathoms was right behind it as a plot point. And the books came out, and when people saw the plot point in 50 Fathoms, that concept just exploded. Yeah. I mean, people went bonkers Yeah, for we, it. we as fans and, voted with uh, our dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, 50 Fathoms was definitely, I mean, it was the first setting book that, like, completely sold out. <laughs> and uh, it just took off. Right. And it really had a strong thing. The scripted campaign at that time didn't go over as well. But, I mean, that's kind of a misnomer when you're comparing it to how 50 Fathoms was released. People liked Evernight. They loved the concept and the storyline and everything like that and still do. But the idea of I've got a campaign, but I've got the freedom to tell these other stories, that was mind-boggling getting that response, you know? So uh, for me, I know Shane has been gaming for a long time, and I always mean to ask him about this when I see him. I have recently been getting into, and by recently I mean within the last year, kind of looking back at not the OSR games so much, although I, I read everything, but, but some of that, those styles of play and before, not before, but originally it was all dungeon crawls. Sure. I, I get that. But what grew out of that really was what we now call a hex crawl. And that's where you draw a map and you create as the GM points of interest, and you may have an over, an overarching plot going on in the background, but it's completely in the control of the players as to where they go. And plot point campaigns remind me of an evolution of the hex crawl. But do you recall that kind of campaign where where you you would just let people go at it? Here's the map where you want to go next, and you'd have stuff kind of waiting there for them. I know the style of game and the, the setup for the hex crawl and stuff like that. It wasn't something my groups ever ran a right. whole lot of. Right. I mean, it was either dungeon crawl kind of adventure stuff, you know, starting out at as I've told the story multiple times of how many characters I lost to those darn sturges at the caves of chaos, <laughs> just one after another, <laughs> after another <laughs> and to keep on the borderlands. <laughs> I still have like stress over that. <laughs> well, keep on the borderlands is really what what inspired the first X crawl campaigns. Yeah, to an extent, because you had so much that you could go and and check out yep. and find. There was a lot that, that went on there. I mean, to a certain extent, there was that concept. You know, my DMs at the time were building in this thing of, you know, it really doesn't matter which direction you're going, the barrier peaks are going to be there because that's right. the adventure I have. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, fine. Whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, you know, it's like, I thought we were going to the desert. Well, now there are mountains. So what are you going to do? It was a bit later on. I mean, when I got into uh, college was kind of the turnaround point for me for gaming. I mean, it was kind of a, a, a harsh switch from pretty much dungeon crawl kind of adventuring to thrown in the deep end of role playing <laughs> with a group of players. So I didn't kind of have that right. transitional stage with the hex crawl style play. Just gotcha. wasn't what I did. Gotcha. I, I definitely see the analogy though. I can't say for certain whether that was any influence on Shane or whether that was how he played. Well, we certainly didn't call them hex crawls back then in my group. We, it, we just naturally started playing that way. It was just exploration, you know, pretty much. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're going to go totally. over there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was the yeah. hex crawl wasn't the name of that that 
didn't come about until later on. Because we all have to put labels on things. That's that's a thing we do. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. We have to label everything. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Exactly. So yeah. um, one of the neat things that Richard's article did, one of his articles did, was point out that there's not a whole lot of difference other than intention between a plot point, a savage tale, and a one sheet. That was actually kind of odd for me. Because to me, there is no functional difference in a way between a Savage Tale and a One Sheet. Because right. it's basically the format is the only difference to me. Right. You know, a Savage Tale is just an adventure that we put in a book, whereas a One Sheet is a Savage Tale that's made to be a PDF that you can print out on One Sheet, pretty much. Right. You know? right. But a plot point is usually the size of a One Sheet also. Or a Savage Tale, even. I mean, a plot point really is just a savage tale working campaign story when you get down to it. In fact, in the early plot point campaigns, they called them all uh, savage tales and then said something like, you know, the first 10 are the plot points. (laughs) Right. Or the savage tales marked with this are plot points. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think when he made that observation, it sort of crystallized for me uh, the idea of the ideal length and, you know, the format and really just sort of. I could just write a one sheet and then, you know, that's somehow connected to the overarching plot. And that's pretty much what a plot point is going to be. And that, that sort of just, for some reason that just made the click for me. As long as the plot point is effectively and simplistically pushing the plot along, that's all it is. It's a savage tale that pushes the plot along. Right. So one thing that I've always sort of struggled with, and and I think the strength of 50 Fathoms is that um, there's there's an exploration component to it and that the the PPC, the plot point campaign, can also serve as a way to introduce the setting to not just the characters that are being played, but the players themselves. Is that is that a correct uh, sort of synopsis of that? Yeah, um, that actually gets into kind of a a meta of plot point campaigns when you're talking about design. To a certain extent, I think Matt touched on this, but there's a basic underlying theme to telling most stories, which is kind of the three act structure. And part of that storyline is in the second act, there's a whole lot of learning that occurs. The hero or protagonist learning about themselves or learning about the world or learning more stuff that gets them into the third act, which is kind of the finale. Um, the big storyline. It's an integral part of storytelling. So part of doing a savage, uh, a plot point campaign or the savage tale for a plot point campaign is considering not only how is this part of the plot, but how is it part of that overarching story in the essence of what does this introduce to the players at this point in time? How does it either structure or what part of it does it apply to. Now, that's a very kind of, it's it's kind of getting into almost categorizing everything very specifically, which isn't accurate. It's more of how the story kind of flows organically, but that tends to happen during those things. So that kind of... It's more of a, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the symptom rather than the cause. Right, to a certain extent. Okay, going into, like, I, I would say... If you have to put down a basic structure, we talked about how a plot point campaign tends to be like 10 to 12 adventures. Well, part of that is, in essence, you're definitely going to have about nine adventures because, in essence, what a plot point campaign is, three acts that you've got. 
generally with maybe an introduction and then maybe a big finale, which gets you to about 11. So you end up with something along those lines of the overarching story of those three sets of three kind of works along that basis. And then each one can work that way as well. It's more organic typically when you're writing it up, but it's an excellent foundation when you're looking at it to think about the first three adventures kind of set up what the stakes are for the overarching campaign. The next three deal with expanding, learning more, becoming better people to a certain extent or better heroes or learning more about the world and what you're going to need for that final you know, showdown that's generally the last three or the last ones. I noticed if you look at uh, the first article Richard wrote, talked about doing Supernatural the first season of the campaign. And if you note the way that breaks down, you have multiple, quote-unquote, savage tales between the plot points at the very beginning of the season, but the last three episodes are all plot point adventures, back-to-back. And that kind of gets to the point where everything ramps up, kind of finale. That's that showdown, conclusion, the climax of the storyline that happens at that time. And that's when, you know, everything starts to gain speed and momentum because the stakes have gotten so big and everything's so important at that time. Right. I remember that with, with necessary evil, where it's like those last three uh, adventures are pretty much like, like back to back or the, th- you know, the last three plot points are back to back. And yeah. Cause that's a point where you don't want to lose momentum in the campaign because it's, it's, you know, important to build that. Now I know, when we went back and we redid it, we added the extra plot point at the end uh, that I did. That's kind of designed that if you're running it, you can run it straight back to back and go on with that momentum. But it's actually got the option in there to put a breather between the 10th plot point and the 11th one. And that one I kind of did for people that had gotten the original book because they go back, take their characters and play that last adventure. If they wanted to go back and pick it up again. Interesting. Okay. So again, nothing is an absolute. It's all what fits the story. So there, for a while there, there weren't a whole lot of publishers that were really developing plot point campaigns with their settings. Um, understandably plot point campaigns weren't, weren't easy to write. Um, there weren't a lot of examples at the time, I think to follow there were a handful where do you think the challenge lies? Why do why is there a difficulty with crafting a plot point campaign? You know, what do you think that barrier might be if there is one? I think the tricky part tends to be putting them in such a way that you can insert the adventures in between them. And that tends to be the tough part of we tend to look at a storyline from start to finish and not with the concept of start other story, other story, other story, then go on to the next. It tends to be a little bit tricky in how that that happens. And sometimes it can be hard to figure out how to write those so that one will lead to the other one, but it doesn't have to directly lead to it. Yeah, well, you kind of have to have those breaks in story. Right, right. Right. And it can be tricky to write that in such a way that one goes to the next when you think of it as one overarching storyline of where you can have those breaks in between them uh, to a certain extent and how that's going to work within your, your overall world 
of what's going to happen. You know, it can be a bit tricky, but it, it's just something that I think, like you said, we've got more examples out there now, and it's becoming a little bit easier to kind of see that and take a step back, make this one inclusive adventure that's related to the plot, and then there's another one later that's also going to be related, as opposed to one automatically leads to the next. Right, right. That makes sense. Now, I don't know that there's any evidence. I haven't seen any any evidence, at least, of any fan plot point campaigns or anything to that effect. Um, I'm assuming that there's no restrictions with regards to the fan license um, regarding that, right? I mean, any any fan sh- should and Christian's be asking able to for a, a plot point campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no. Well, <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that. Well, I guess for publishers, there's a challenge, um, mostly because of cost and um, you know page count and you know things like that. There's all these other limitations that they might have, you know, investment. Um, for fans, they typically don't have that limitation. They, um, so, but maybe there's an investment of time or or um, you know just struggling with the idea in general. You know, what what do I create? How do I how do I frame the story? Um, the advice you just gave seems, you know, would obviously apply to that. What are some quick ways to sort of get started on crafting a plot point? Can like, where, maybe I guess sort of tell us a little bit about the process that Pinnacle might go through when they're like, okay, we were going to create a plot point campaign for this setting. What's your starting point? Like, where do you, you know, how do you, how does that process work for you all? It's going to depend on how each person writes to a certain extent. It's kind of like writing any story, anything like that. Um, I'm more of a, I kind of know the ending of a story that I'm looking at and working backwards from that. It's like, what's, you know, a big, you know, kind of finale. What are you, what's going to be those major stakes? And then you got to think your way back to the, okay, what would have to lead to get there? And as you build that working backwards, it's basically each plot point working your way back to the, the first one, which is the hints of what's down at the end. And that, working that way kind of makes it a little bit easier as we do a little foreshadowing or whatever, because you already know what's at the end to put some stuff in towards hints of what comes later. I think, though, you know, I think one of the tricky parts with fans may not be actually writing the plot point campaign itself. I think it may be the fact that a plot point campaign tends to come wrapped up with all these savage tales. Right. And that may be something that looks, looks a bit overwhelming of the whole thing of, yeah, I could write these 10 to 12 adventures that have a campaign in them, but they're supposed to have these other 24 adventures, you know, that you could put in between them or even, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be that many, but if you just wanted to put a couple of adventures, you're looking at, 20 or so adventures you know to to fit in there yeah at least at least two to two to three dozen total right and i don't know that if a fan was going to do one they need to necessarily think of it that way because it depends on what they're doing i mean if they're doing a, a conversion of an existing setting or an existing um world or even if they're not to a certain extent or a homebrew would be a little bit different. I mean, if it's a homebrew, your GM doesn't necessarily have a frame of reference of what kind of adventures would be in this world. But if you're doing a an existing setting, say, you know, 
that's out there that you want to convert to Savage Worlds, and there are already adventures that are out there for that. You know that you know Savage Worlds GM could pretty easily convert, or just look at your plot points and use those as a basis for conversion. Then you know there's something else for them to make that. But I think a simpler solution for a fan is just go with build a plot point campaign and then look at making an adventure generator to build the adventures to go in between it. Give the GM something to work off of and build the framework for those other adventures rather than worry about writing all of them yourself, you know? And And a fan could also publish those, you know, Savage Tales independently at a future time anyway, if they wanted to, because there's no pressure to have it all produced in one product and delivered all at once. Right. They could say, do the core plot point and then say, Oh, by the way, here's a new Savage Tale. Here's another one. And here's another one. And, you know, like we said before, there's no difference between a savage tale and a one sheet, really, other than the format. So it can be a case of here's the plot point. Here's an adventure generator. That's pretty much what you need. But here's a one sheet. And then here's another one sheet and another one sheet. And you cut along certain things of, hey, this one sheet fits well anywhere in around the first three adventures of the plot point. This one might work well around here or after they've done this plot point. This would be a great one to put in there or something like that. And you could just do new doom whenever you get a chance to put out a, a one sheet for it. And those could land for adventures. You're, you're making this sound way too easy. And... I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> <laughs> It's hard. It's so hard. That's, that's awesome. I think that when you see such a polished product in front of you as a kind of a lay person that can be intimidating yeah, um, which is the reason we, we're having this episode, right? Is we want to kind of take that out of it. So let's talk a little bit about how to run a plot point campaign. You know, maybe cover some do's and don'ts. I have a don't that I just recently learned um, <laughs> because I did it. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, no, it's not that big of a deal. It, it it was just some feedback I got that that is definitely on point, and I got caught up in plotting through the Savage Tales on my ETU game to where we just finished freshman year and there's three plot points that happen during freshman year. And then in between you have the Savage Tales and and all that other stuff you can do. But I went like from Savage Tale to Savage Tale and it was so episodic. It was too much like a TV show and there wasn't enough fluidity between sessions interesting so they just they felt very isolated like isolated stories right totally my fault but i ran them as sort of like episodes and didn't do enough embellishing around who the characters were right and so it came out feeling very episodic It, it took the very last episode of freshman year for the players to even understand there was really an overarching plot happening like like they knew there was an overarching plot but they didn't feel the overarching plot until that third plot point. Right. Cause they're not even touching on it. And I feel like that was like totally my fault as the, as the GM. It's like watching the first season of, of agents of shield where you're like, okay, where's right. the story. So my plan for the second season, which is the sophomore year, obviously is that I'm actually just going to read the three plot points and know that that's going on and then run that particular semester, not semester, but year, as sandboxy as possible 
and bringing those things that happen in those three plot points in when it's comfortable. Yeah. That's kind of my plan for the, for the second season. I think that could work. And that, that reminds me of, um, I, when I ran my, the last ever on Savage Worlds ever on game, I ran, um, instead of having a sort of structured story, what I did instead is I did a mind map of the NPCs, their motivations, their relationships, and even the relationships with the PCs. And what that allowed me to do was to be more fluid with sort of reacting to what the players were doing rather than trying to script what the players were doing. Because if if I knew that these NPCs had a certain motivation, so it basically it's just like what you're talking about, Ron, with you have this idea in your head of the overarching story, and then whatever yeah. happens, still keeping that in mind, so that if something happens, you're able to react and pivot, but still keep that overarching story moving forward. Right. But I need to stop looking them at at these these things as as like episodes and start looking at them as as plot points. And I made a are. similar mistake with necessary a little bit different though. I actually toward the end or about halfway through um we were kind of getting excited about sort of wrapping it up and, and moving to another story unfortunately i mean it, we were having fun with it gamers have ushani syndrome it happens that that's that's what happened right and um and because of it we decided to stick solely to the plot points and then it felt rushed um we didn't really get to explore the characters you know use the savage tales you know um really just absorb the setting uh, as a result well, you just tell your players at that point that you were simulating the writer strike that happened in 08 or 09. <laughs> and uh, it was like Heroes right. Season 2 where the first half of the season plotted along and then the second half of the season flew by like crazy. And that's when I realized I didn't like the TV show's Hero because I liked the second half of the season better when right, I had exactly. to rush and get to the friggin' point. But <laughs> Nobody really likes those filler episodes, you know. <laughs> everybody's just like, I waited a week for that, you know? Well, I'm going to say on, in both of your cases, I guess, certainly, I mean, if we start with Ron, first off, Ron, if there was any point where you needed, where that works out best, it's actually in that first year. In essence, you've done kind of part of that initial concept of that, that story structure of at the end of the year, they finally had the realization that there was something bigger going on. Uh, now, it's just kind of a case of, and, and what you're doing is kind of right mm -hmm. of, thinking about the fact that that sophomore year is really going to be hammering home of, it's still going on, you know, behind, you know, things that are happening and things like that. And, and having that concept of looking at those stories and being prepared that no matter what they're in, there might be something going on in the background related to the overarching plot because it's kind of going on. On Christian's side of, you know, rushing through, you know, that is that is tricky because you're you are kind of pushing through the, the character growth and things like that that can happen with those side adventures. But you know, I'll say that there are people that that actually works for. And I've talked to them and I've seen the fans who have said that, you know, they like the the option of just saying, Look, if we want to, we want to play this, we want to get it, but we know we're not going to have the time to get all these other adventures in boom. We can push through all of those adventures and just know that you guys are going to have to do more right. kind of each session to build those, you know, interactions up and things like that. And it's right. It's kind of a case of when you do it that way, 
you don't have as much time to build other parts of the story. So you kind of have to focus on certain relationships. Like um, when you're doing relationships with NPCs, it's not about building so much, but building some strong ones individually between players and NPCs or some things like that to, to push that through because you, you can't, you know, grow it out. So you kind of have to go with, all right, this NPC later on is supposed to be somebody different, but can I work it back to one they've already dealt with before? So that's something that you can do when you are trying to squish it together of let's try to interact these a little bit more as opposed to they, they aren't going to necessarily have some of these off savage tales where you interact with the resistance fighters and it's not related to the plot point, but you're going to have some interaction with them and they will show up in a later plot point, you know? Um, so it's like, you know, you just set up things up. Well, let's have the resistance fighter show up in an earlier plot point and kind of work with that to work them in. But it's possible to do it. And like I said, I know people that have run them and they, they just love to, you know, burn through these campaigns. It's like, okay, you know, go for it. Yeah. I, I had, I had made that mistake when, um, when, uh, rippers came out initially, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to run these back to back and blah, blah, blah. Just jump through it. Didn't read through the full campaign, read the first plot point and said, all right, guys, let's play. And I run it and I'm like, all right, let's do the next plot point. And I opened the book and it says, the next plot point happens when everybody reaches seasoned. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I said, oh, crap. <laughs> Darn you, Shane Hensley. <laughs> well, no, it, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, uh, I, I realized that now that that's a completely legit thing because you you want to use that time to get people used to doing what they're doing so they can feel more seasoned when they meet who they're going to meet in the second plot point totally makes sense but i was misunderstanding the structure of a plot point campaign back then but that was a long time ago <laughs> yeah that is another thing you have to take in consideration of well what should the what rank should the players kind of be by the time they hit this as opposed to, you know, I'm not running it. And you can have plot points where it's like, all right, you know, we're running this plot point. We get through it. All right. To get to the next one, you guys are going to go ahead and get two advances. Yeah, no, <laughs> and there was actually, um, I think there's two plot points in necessary evil where there's literally like, you you know, because necessary evil spells out what rank they should be for that given plot point. And I actually did that. Like, all right, you guys are just advancing. You know, just just go ahead and advance because you're going to need to be, you know, this rank or whatever, which is fine. I mean, they were fine with it. So um, this kind of, I guess this all sort of touches on to Richard's, um, I think this is his, I don't remember if it was the second or third, the designing over, design overview for a plot point campaign where he talks about like identifying the overarching plot, uh, summarize the episodes. He has a couple of examples. He's got a plot point summary. Um then he talks about like actually writing the adventures. And then he also includes his tales, uh, you know, as we already talked about and the adventure generator, which we've also mentioned the adventure generator is a sort of like this third component that accompanies a lot of plot point campaigns. Correct. And, um, and typically that's, that's just sort of a way to craft your own sort of savage tale to insert. Is that, is that an accurate summary of that? That's, you know, pretty much, you know, spot on as far as what it is. Cause I mean, you have to, I mean, we have to keep in mind and we do that. You have people that can run the plot points as are run the savage tales as are, you know, they're fine. It's set ready to go. You have a whole bunch of GMs that are like, yeah, I tweak this 
everybody's going to tweak some, obviously, to fit the players, like you said, everything like that, their particular characters and stuff. But you have some that are like really going to take that, change it, you know, significantly to have a different feel to their stories. And you have others that just really want to create almost from the ground up. And that's kind of where the adventure generator gives you the start of a framework to build, you know, yourself, uh, whatever kind of adventure you want. And it's just, here's the blocks to use. Go crazy, make your own story. How are you, you know, you figure out how to combine them and make what you want. And, uh, and so it, I mean, it, it fills a different, niche and as far as providing savage tales you know for a different reason you know it's like and maybe there's not a savage tale in the book that fits something you want to tell so you can go to the adventure generator and maybe right and and a common sentiment many gms have expressed regarding plot point campaigns is that um they've run multiple versions of the same plot point campaign and every experience yields a different result like they they have a very different you know experience and story and set of characters and, and even just a sequence of events, um, which I think is r- another thing powerful feature of plot point campaigns is that you don't get bored of running the same thing over and over again if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I I can see that, but I mean, I really think that can apply to games in general. True. More so, you know, so to any kind of storyline, because I mean, I you know. I'll run the exact same adventure at convention after convention with different groups of players, even playing the same characters and have some vastly different experiences, you know, of, of yeah, how, that's a fair point. You know, it's, it, they're all fun, but they can all be very different. Um, you know, that, so what you're kind of talking about is kind of the flip side of that, of you may have the same players. You may even go back and through it again, but they've got different characters and they could come at things from a completely right. different angle on a different place and, you know, things like that. And, of course, then you've also got that thing of the GM who just takes one, th- you know, maybe you didn't catch something before. And that becomes side, you know, side storyline um, that they lead off on. So, yeah, I mean, the, the function is there, but I think that's just the nature of the 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 game that we play and, and what we love about it in role-playing games is that it's a collaborative effort to tell the stories and when you've got that many people working together, it's like improv. Every time yeah. you're on the stage together with the same, you know, things that you're pulling together from, you know, the audience improv wise, but the group will come up and go a completely different direction with it. I think the adventure that I've run over and over again the most is the Eye of Kilquado. And. I've run that for the same group multiple times, mostly because we were trying to figure out early on in Savage Worlds how to not die <laughs> um, in a in a in a uh, session. Uh, I will say that with that adventure, I've got about an eighty percent kill rate. So part of the problem was that adventure is just very deadly. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're dead on about the the improv thing because this comes back to the old saying. Um, no plot survives uh, contact survives with the players. Interaction with the PCs. Right. Yeah, contact that's with the right. players. That's right. That's right. So um, that's that's a perfect example of the way that works. So I could see just even mildly tweaking the, a plot point campaign 
and having it work for the same players with different characters a second time. Yeah, and honestly, my even my players that I ran Necessary Evil with, they've mentioned a couple times wanting to play it again because they, you know, they want to explore different avenues and different aspects of it. Well, now you can play the New York one. Actually, we've we've talked about it occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, what we thought about doing was doing a, a campaign that takes place after Necessary Evil, uh, where so they they've they did an epilogue kind of a thing with their characters in, in terms of how they wrapped up the campaign, and then what we thought about doing is converting those characters to sort of uh, non-player characters in the world, and then now they're sort of rising heroes who are looking to reclaim the world back oh. from the villains, so to speak. Some or something to that effect. It's a, it's a or even maybe maybe they're villains looking to take over. You know those villains. Who knows? But the idea being that's where they left off, and now let's you know let's pick up from there with this new world. You know, post. I like the idea of Earth getting over the the uh, occupation, and you know, fifteen twenty years later, they have established their own version of the equivalent of the Green Lantern Corps. Um, because they know that there's this alien threat out there now, <laughs> so you oh, can neat. right play these characters that so basically that, have a, a military force of some sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's, that's interesting. Cool. So Very Clint's cool. writing all this down. I, I see him looking yeah. at the paper. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So what? <laughs> I'm not talking. I'm not talking anything about evil. Oh, intre- I think oh, that means it's uh, coming. Yep. So that's cool. I hear it. I, no, heard, I heard it, it too. What? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I heard it Never too. Said that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever, dude. So what other? Uh, what other? I mean, it's not like we. It's not like we have five power levels in the superpower companion. <laughs> dun dun dun. Right, right. Or that you've talked about the potential future of necessary evil on previous podcasts that uh, I have. Nice. Other crazy <laughs> stories and ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Good time. Shane Hensley starts running around in the Necessary Evil universe, and I get scared. <laughs> tell you that. Well, I was going to point out, I, I to Christian, you should warn your your friends if you do run it that <laughs> there may be some character death, despite what the uh, despite the uh, the setting rule. <laughs> regarding character death and necessary evil oh right yeah because yeah yeah shane shane writes him writes him deadly (laughs) so what about uh what are some other do's and don'ts that we can that we can think of for running a a ppc well one we touched on and i'll I'll mention it again definitely as a do is um one ron read all of them first (laughs) well i know that now (laughs) Now, I know, but also, (laughs) you know, and with any storyline, this is, this is good. Any campaign over time, but you have the advantage with the plot point campaign of kind of seeing where these adventures go. Look at the players you have and find ways to tie those characters into the plot point more personally. Typically there's ways to work that, you know, it may not be immediate. It may be over time, but we have, players in our game that give you two pages of backstory you know it's like it's like you know you you've got something typically to work from and you know sometimes you have the player that builds up stuff in the game that's fine too but as long as you have something from the other players that you're pulling from and you start tying them into that storyline when it's personal it has so much more meaning 
to make that happen. And that's that that really can take a plot point over the top. So um, if if I may, I, w- I want to touch back on a little bit on um, creating your own PPCs. If there is. I, well, for one, I, I, I'd be curious if you're willing to share any sort of experiences that you've had working with publishers who wanted to create a PPC and or sharing just any general advice that you've given to publishers who wanted, who were interested in creating a PPC. My advice with publishers goes back a little bit because it's not something that's directly involved with now. You know, that's, that's actually more Jody's shtick and she's not here right now, obviously, and has been now for, for years because she's been that COO and licensee manager and everything like that. She's kind of been that direct connection for a while. And, you know, it still kind of follows. Look at one that's out there to start with. You know, look at how it's designed. Look at how it's built. Because it is a case of you could talk about, yeah, you could talk about story structure. You could talk about, you know, rising action, all the literary kind of terms that Ron kind of talks about that like Matt, you know, might use and things like that. But I mean, when you're coming to approaches, let's say the blank sheet of paper, you know, themselves, it's you and the paper or the screen nowadays and, um, and how you're going to tell that story. So you're not so much looking at a formula that's going to absolutely work as you are, you're going to look at, of, you know, these adventures that, oh, you know, over a period of time can be strung together and tell an overarching campaign, each one connected to that plot. Kind of like what a little bit, what Ron talked about of, you know, he ran those adventures free to you and they just looked episodic, but it being important to show that these things have a connection you know, sometimes it may not be completely obvious. It may be the third adventure in before you suddenly realize, wait a second, holy cow, here's the the big thing that's going to happen, and we got to figure out a way to stop it at some point in time. Or, you know, it may just be certain parts that come together. Again, it, each story is like, when you talk to a publisher, you're like, you obviously already are a writer and a creator, so look at your strength and just look at what the products have been I've pointed people at 50 fathoms before you look at out there. And, and as you kind of said, now Christian, there's so much more to look at. We're on three plot point campaigns that are full hardback books for deadlands. You know, you pick up 50 fathoms. Now there's actually two separate plot point campaigns that are in it. The one from the companion is it now. Well, look at, look at last parsec. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, that was, that was a whole other experiment in, in trying something new. But but there's still three plot point campaigns yeah. out for it. Yeah. I mean, as far as, you know, the whole let's kind of plot point campaign that's basically just built off the companion. And uh, that was that was the learning, you know, the right. learning curve of, yeah, everybody really does want the last Parsec book. We pulled that together, but I mean, we're just... Every every time we try to test the waters and find something new, because I mean, if you don't and look at you know what's going on, you you're just gonna start stagnating. You got to be willing to accept, uh, you know, sacred cows make the best steaks sometimes, <laughs> and you know, it's it's kind of a hard thing to say. Of you know, what do you look at with a a publisher as far as doing a plot point campaign? Become one how to write. 
you know, you, you look at what's out there and you figure out how you want to approach building something that looks like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you still have the, the core, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, which we've already talked about. But beyond that, yeah, it's going to be, you're a writer, you know, just think about the same literary tools that you, that you used before, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's a case of, you know, where they're going to the plot point, you know, Savage Tales themselves, those adventures are also going to be very dependent on the setting. Um, I mean, like I said, you look at the differences between how the adventures in 50 Fathoms run versus the adventures in Necessary Evil or in Breakout, Necessary Evil, you know, yeah. they're, you know, very different feel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so it'll, it'll depend on what your specific setting is. There's no one absolute kind of answer that's going, there's no, this fits everything, you know, follow this, follow this program, use this layout here. Here's how it runs yeah. and make it work. I, and I, I think that's, that's also the advantage of having so many plot point campaigns out now, um, as opposed to before everybody was always pointing to 50 fathoms and, and it was hard to look at 50 fathoms, um, uh, which it's plot point campaign was written for 50 fathoms and sort of extrapolate that to something for whatever setting you're trying to adapt to. Because again, it was, it was specific to 50 fathoms, not not a formula that you can use. Yeah. It pulls out the concept of, okay, so a plot point campaign is going to depend on travel and hitting these different locations. And it's like going, right. Well, it doesn't have to necessarily be location based. That's the trigger. It could be event based. It could be, you know, it could be character based. Like necessary yeah. evil, you know, right. I mean, character based. Like we talk about, yeah. you know, one, one, another thing with necessary evil of the characters hit seasoned at that point, you know, you suddenly, you know, when you hit the veteran or, or certain ranks like that, you kind of start getting on the radar of more important people. Yeah. Yeah. As well as the citizens. Here you are, villains, that you're doing these great deeds, and then they're all like, our heroes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I've often said one of my favorite things to do in Necessary Evil is have the villains come back to their high. One of the little ladies on the street has put a tin of cookies there for them with a thank you note, handwritten thank you note. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for something they did, didn't even intend to do a good deed. But you know. I did. Uh, what was it? I, I, I can't remember what the situation was, but I remember I had like a small, like cheering crowd, you know, who just happened to see them in action. And they were like, you know, pr- you know, just getting all excited, uh, you know, for saving them or whatever it was. It was, it was a. And they were just. I remember the players were just like, oh, oh, weird. <laughs> like, like they they were like literally taken aback. Like, oh, that's interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Well, are there any last tidbits that we want to cover, or have we beaten this to death? Oh, let's see. We've talked about do's and don'ts yep. for plot point campaigns. Yep. Uh, do adjust it to fit your specific characters as best you can do be willing to be flexible as the story progresses you get great hooks that can come up and and when it comes to making if there's one big don't don't be afraid to get it out there and do it if you want to make your own plot point campaign go ahead and try it it's it's gonna sound weird but there's always the option of if you want to make one you could do it if you're actually running a game campaign and you have a general idea you know it can be feasible to start with a beginning and a, a neat hook and an idea you have, see where the players take it, run a couple of other adventures, and you've got that time period there of those other 
adventures you run in there before you think about, okay, I think I know what the next plot point is going to be. Right. And Until you they actually, derail it. <laughs> right. You know, even if they, well, the thing is they can't derail it because of the direction they take the game. And by the time you've run the campaign, you've quote unquote written your plot point campaign just by running it. Oh, I, I see. mean, in general, use yeah. the campaign as the process, use the right. campaign as the process. I mean, in effect, you get to play test it and write it all at the same time and adjust in real time. Right. Right. Now, um, I, I I know Pinnacle offers the service to licensees to help them craft setting, you know, material or, or supplements or whatever it might be. Do you also offer a similar service for helping, you know, with guidance on, on constructing the PPC? The option that we have for the, uh, the licensees, the publishing licensees and things like that is basically once of uh, starting out with like a, a product, I'm not sure if it's just a first product or if it's, others i think it's kind of just a first to get started with maybe so um again that's kind of after my time period in, in working with that because um you know it had been um uh, it had been something we kind of had done for a while but ended up because so much time got spent on it it was you know yeah actually, you guys can't work on your own stuff right yeah. <laughs> that's true that's kind of what it got to that is what it got to really but i mean it's not a there's no specific necessarily thing of this is what you're getting help with it's more a case of we'll look at what you've got we're willing to give feedback on what might be some rough spots ourselves and it could be okay the plot point campaign you got is brilliant we love it um some of these edges and things you might want to look at your mechanics on them or it could be you know edges and things like that are kind of an issue uh your plot point campaign seems to kind of lose focus somewhere here in the middle you know you might want to punch that up whatever it could come up with it it just depends on the specific product you know that the publisher is coming with it's just a general i think concept of helping polish whatever they're working on just making sure it's up to savage world's quality yeah that's fair that's fair well the the up to savage world's quality when you're initially putting something in meeting all the various criteria that we have at this point for being an official publisher that's just going to happen of you submit what we ask for. If it meets it, you know, we say, great, you're approved, go take off, go have fun and, and make for the fans. And if it's not approved, it's sorry, we can't approve you and things like that. And that kind of gets to the point where if you want the assistance that gets back into the, well, here's the specific parts that, you know, we're finding weak. If you're you know willing to commit to, building up like the trade dress, like, you know, you're, you're not really there on trade dress or, you know, your art, not, um, you know, it's not what we want to see kind of from publishers. Cause I mean, there's that certain level of, of quality and I'm throwing things out there that I don't even know necessarily come up all the time, but you know, there, there's a whole lot that comes up to it besides just get the rules right. And, you know, everything. Yeah, I didn't realize that trade dress was a part of that. That's that's interesting. You know, making sure you have a yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, yeah, that's that's cool. That's, that's yeah, good to know. It's actually. pretty much every every aspect of it to a certain to the way it's set up, and you know, there's there's a whole lot that gets looked at in that first product. It's kind of the idea of we have one thing to make this judgment call off of. You know, kind of let them go. It's got to be a, a quality pro product. Yeah. Yeah, it's really a case of bring the A game, totally bring the A game, and 
had some people, you know, it's like, don't feel bad about the whole, hey, you're not approved because there's a pretty high mark, you know, to get in now. I mean, there's a hundred and some licensees. So a lot of careful criteria that's that's checked now to kind of make it into that group because we've kind of got so many. We're not looking to, if you want to get in and be part of that, it's already a big group. It's, it's getting kind of now to get in the door because you know the fire marshal says we've reached capacity <laughs> you know yeah well and i'm sure the bar has been raised just by you know the other the other uh licensees anyway and so you know you you want to adhere you you want to stay close to where the bar is now yeah I, I will also put out there there's also just certain things that okay this isn't a fit for savage worlds i mean there are certain certain products that don't necessarily fit what we see with the system and what we're looking at. And I mean, we've had a couple of cases where I think we've actually told licensees, you really need to go work with someone else. And we'll sometimes point them directly at another publisher. You would be much better off with them. There's a lot to it that, uh, that goes into making that. So it's not a case of when somebody brings something in, it may not necessarily be a bad product. It may not, you know, be one thing or another, but sometimes it's just not a fit that's going to work, you know, at this point in time, that's kind of the way it is. And, you know, fortunately, you know, most of the people are really cool about that. I mean, we try to, you know, we just treat it as professionally as we can. And fortunately we deal with professionals, which is great. That's cool. Yeah. Great. Uh, Ron, how do you feel? I I think we covered the topic pretty well. Yeah, we yeah, covered plot points so and licensees. I don't know how we got to that. <laughs> it's <laughs> licensing. It's Christian's fault. I always blame Christian. Yeah, it, it is. It is my fault. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to visit the SBN website, savagebloggers.net, where we have awesome stuff like if RSS I talk feeds. Right now, and does that ruin what you're doing? YouTube channels. No, I don't actually care what you say. Clint. <laughs> and podcast subscription links and more if you enjoy our show and want to show your support go find all those little green pieces of paper in your parents wallets (laughs) and mail them to check check out our patreon page uh, which can be reached through the savagebloggers.net website as well and whatever you do until next time keep it fast furious and fun print. Thank you again for being here. Thank you guys. The last. Christian, thank you for joining us always because you're part of the show. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it.